This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, if you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of John. We're going to pick up tonight with chapter 7. We've been in this series together called the Gospel of John. We've been going verse by verse chapter by chapter through this gospel. And I love the gospel of John. I love the perspective that John brings. And tonight we're gonna pick up with chapter seven, beginning in verse 14. If you have your Bibles, go there with me. And if you're there, say, I'm there, Pastor Jay. Let's start together in verse 14. And about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And the Jews therefore marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning? When he has never studied. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, say God's will, he will know or she will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true and in him there is no falsehood. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, Lord, that as we go to your gospel, which is meant to be good news for all who believe, that you would open our hearts and enlarge the capacity of our hearts to believe. Lord, to believe you for things that we never thought were possible. Lord, to invite your presence into the places of our doubt and frustration and disappointment so that once there, God, you can shine your light. And we thank you for that tonight. And would you add a blessing to the reading of your word in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said amen. Amen. I felt compelled by the spirit of God this week in my time of study to ask us this question tonight. Whose glory do you seek? Whose glory do you seek? Let's face it, we live in a time, in an era, in an age that is defined and being marked by hyper-individualism, by, we could call it, self-centeredness, right? Self-absorption, where people are making it all about them. And we see this reinforced in our culture from the places we like to shop, the food we like to eat, the entertainment we like to consume. It's all being manufactured to be about us. Anybody remember the Burger King commercial or slogan, have it your way? You guys know that slogan was actually invented in 1974. Some of you in this room weren't even alive in 1974. How many of you guys weren't alive in 1974? That's that's almost all of us, almost all of us. For those of you that were alive, we love you. Thank you for holding it down for the rest of us. But when you think about the fact that a company like Burger King in the 70s was already thinking this way, think about now with me the fact that this seed has grown up over 30 to 40 to 50 years. And we're seeing the effects of that. Today, we like to say it this way, you do you. Anybody ever hear that? You just, you, you do you, man, and I'll do me, and it'll, everybody will be cool, right? It's this idea that you get what you want, you have it your way, however you want it, when you want it, and I'll get what I want, 
however I want it, whenever I want it. And it becomes this mindset that encapsulates us as a people. And that's where we are today, I believe, in our culture. We don't want anybody to tell us how to live. Like, don't tell me how to do me, man. You do you, and I'll do me. Don't tell me what to do. And on the surface level, when we think about sayings like, have it your way, or you do you, it seems almost kind of harmless. It seems almost trivial to an extent. But when we search a little deeper, when we go a little bit deeper beneath the surface of our lives, what we sometimes discover is the presence of a very insidious desire to seek your own glory, to be what I call chasers of our own glory. And here in the Gospel of John in chapter 7, we see Jesus as he's done time and time again, jump right into the midst of the conflict, right into the midst of our infatuation with ourselves, right into the midst of what people like you and me wrestle with each and every day. And he puts his holy, hot, red Jesus finger on the hot button. Here it is, verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Jesus is, of course, talking about himself. He's defending his right to teach what the Father has sent him and commissioned him to teach. And the people, they don't get it. In fact, they can't seem to get past the idea that Jesus, the carpenter's son, being from this podunk town of Nazareth, somehow has understanding and wisdom and knowledge. Listen to what they say in verse 15. And the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never, ever studied? In other words, who taught this guy what he knows? He didn't go to Harvard and graduate with a law degree. He doesn't have a PhD and a double master's in biblical studies like us. So who gave him this knowledge and why is he here lecturing us? How is this possible? So they're stuck. And because they're stuck, they're putting Messiah to the task. But curiously, it's the way that Jesus responds, not by glorifying himself, which he could have done, but by pointing people to the Father that I believe is the reason the Spirit has prompted me to ask you, whose glory do you seek? Whose glory do you seek? Jesus responds to their query this, with this provocative statement about glory seeking. We see it in verse 18. And isn't that really the issue that's at stake here? Isn't that really at the heart of why the Pharisees and why the crowds are putting Jesus to task? You see, a new rabbi has turned up on the scene. A new figure has come upon the scene and he's speaking with the words of heaven and he's backing up the words of heaven with miracles and signs and wonders and doing what none of them could do. He's doing many miracles. And on top of that, he's not taking any glory for any of it. He's not seeking any glory for himself. He's pointing people to the Father. In other words, he's giving glory away. Friends, this is revolutionary. It was revolutionary then. It's still revolutionary today. When we think about all the famous people in our world today, 
We think about the celebrities and the sports figures and the politicians and, oh yeah, all the social media influencers, whatever that's about. People that have never done a thing in their life but are trying to lecture you and me on what, they, what we need to do to get our act together. When we think about all these people, what typically comes to mind? People that are really good at giving glory away, at pointing people to Jesus, at pointing people to the Father, or are they people that tend to bring a lot of attention to themselves and or the brand that they represent? I like sports. I like football. I make no apologies for it. I tend to enjoy college football because it tends to be a little more pure. And occasionally I'll watch the pros. Sometimes I'll watch the NBA and sometimes I'll tune into Major League Baseball as well. I like sports, but I've noticed this trend over the past eh, 10 to 15 years or so where when a player will score a touchdown or make a great shot, what do they immediately do? They point to the name on their jersey. Forget the fact that a teammate set them up for that shot. Forget the fact that a lineman blocked so that the running back could make it into the end zone. What are they doing? They're pointing to themselves. They're directing glory to themselves. Check out the name. Check out the brand. It's all about me, baby. Aren't I great? Aren't I spectacular? Aren't I special? They're storing up glory for themselves. And isn't it interesting that here, contextually speaking, Jesus is standing in the middle of the temple in a public place during one of the busiest seasons, during one of the high holidays of the year, during the feasts of weeks. And Jesus is doing what? Pointing to himself? No, he's doing the exact opposite. He's pointing people to the Father and he's standing confidently in the authority that God has given him to be who God has called him to be. So there's no disparity between who Jesus is and his ability to redirect and to direct their focus to God. And then I, I love what comes next. Jesus delivers this crushing rebuke and we see it in verses 19 through 24. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keep it. So why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answers them, I did one work and you all marvel. Moses gave you circumcision and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. And if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses is not broken, why are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I have made a whole, or I have made a man's whole body well. You guys remember when Jesus healed the invalid, right? By the pool. He did it on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, therefore, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Wait a second, Jesus, I thought we weren't supposed to judge. Wait, let's read that again. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Oh, interesting. What's Jesus doing here? What's he after? He's getting to the heart of the matter. He's moving beyond the appearance of what is what has appeared on the surface level of things and he's putting his finger on what they're actually really upset about. And here it is, they're upset that they can't put Jesus in a box. They can't keep Jesus from doing Jesus kinds of things. They can't get him to stop speaking with authority and with wisdom and understanding. They can't get him to stop healing people and doing things that they didn't think Messiah was supposed to do. They can't get him to stop turning water to wine and feeding multitudes with fishes and loaves and raising up people that are sick. 
They can't seem to wrap their heads around and force Jesus to conform to their image. And when they try to, when they try to trap him, what does Jesus do? Just keeps on pointing people to the Father. Just keeps on pointing people to the love of God. Just keeps pointing people to see the Father in all that he does. And so I want to ask us this question, why does this matter? Why does it matter for us? Because like so many times within Scripture, I believe they are us and we are them. Sometimes when we read the scriptures, we have a tendency to make it about them. Well, isn't that nice that that was their problem? Isn't that nice that they misunderstood Jesus? Isn't that nice that they had a problem with glory? Isn't it nice that that was where they're at? But can I tell you something? We all wrestle with this, you guys. Each and every one of us wrestles with whose glory we're going to seek. The truth is this, all of us are glory seekers. The real question is, whose glory are we seeking? Are we seeking ours? It's about us. Or are we seeking the glory that is of the Father, the glory that is eternal and everlasting? Are we pointing people to the Father the way Jesus does, or are we storing up glory for ourselves? That might be a better way to say that. I think when we get hung up on who gets the credit, we're storing up glory for ourselves. I think when we, we judge others more harshly than we judge ourselves, I think we're storing up glory for ourselves. I think when we hold other people to a standard that we ourselves are not likely to keep, I think we're storing up glory for ourselves. And here's the problem. When you and I store up glory for ourselves, it's vain. It's not gonna last. It's gonna fade away as quickly as the setting sun. But when we point people to the Father, when we point people to the one who is everlasting, then we become the kinds of people whose lives are centered and calibrated around the real glory of God. Can I let you in a little secret? The glory that we seek for ourselves isn't going to last, but the glory that we seek that is of the Father will last. It's worth more than anything that we can put a price tag on. It's worth more than its weight in gold, if you will. And what's interesting to me is when we talk about the word glory in the scriptures, it's often the word doxa. And here's what it means. Weight. It's the other weightiness of God that desires to rest upon your life and mine that showcases the character and goodness of the Father. That's my working definition for glory. It's the weightiness of God that rests upon us, that bears forth his character and his goodness. In other words, it serves as a witness to who he is in your life and in mine. That's why when we come together and rightly worship the Lord the way we have tonight, his glory can be seen on us. That's why our worship out in the world essentially becomes our witness. It reveals something about the character and goodness of the Father to a world looking for reasons to believe, looking for reasons to believe the gospel that you and I have so embraced and believed. When we do that, when our worship becomes our witness, when we showcase the glory of the Father, we're inviting his glory to be seen on 
us. And that's essential to what Jesus does with each and every miracle that he's performed and that we've read about thus far. He's showcasing the glory of the Father. He's showcasing the power of the Holy Spirit at work within his life and upon his life. And he's doing so to invite us as his followers, as his disciples, to do likewise. To go and do the same. Today I want to call all of us to be seekers of God's glory. To, like Jesus, point people to the Father. To be more concerned about what people think about God than what they think about us what they think about our Instagram account, our Facebook, or our followers, or influence. I want to call us to be seekers and chasers of God's glory and to stand like Jesus did in full confidence that you have his authority. So let's make this practical. What are some practical ways that we can do this this Christmas season? What are some practical ways that we can showcase the glory of God in our lives. Well, number one, I believe that we can serve somebody. I believe that when you serve others, God's glory can be seen upon your life. Listen to what Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says. For even the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, in the manner in which he came from humble origins, came to serve, not to be served. He could have rode in triumphantly, I'm here, serve me. And isn't that essentially what we've seen every other king or president or leader or person of power do over the last thousands of years? It's all about me. Serve me. I'm the king. I'm going to have it my way. And Jesus does the opposite. He came to serve, not to be served. And he gives his life away as a ransom for many. I want to say this, church. The world needs more servants right now. The world needs people of God like you and me who love Jesus, who are head over heels in love with Jesus, and who love others and who are willing to get down into the dirt and down into the grimy places of people's lives and serve and wash some stinking feet. And Jesus does that, doesn't he? And the disciples, they have this hard time with it. They're like, Jesus, no, don't do that. And he's like, listen, if I don't do this, it's not going to go well with you. You're going to make it about you. You're going to have this top-down authoritarian structure and you're going you're to serve like a monarch and you're going to hold power over people and you're, you're going to miss the point of what the gospel is all about. It's about serving others. It's about giving your life as a ransom for many. I love the picture that this paints for us of Jesus. And I love the invitation that it provides us to go and do likewise, to serve somebody. So this Christmas, I think that's one of the, the best chief ways that we can showcase the glory of God is by serving others. Number two, by giving generously for God so loved the world that he what? Hoarded, held back, he gave. And what did he give? The greatest thing that he could give, his own son, his only begotten treasured beloved son. I believe when we give, God's glory can be seen on our life. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says. Each one 
might give, I mean, each one could give, oh, wait, no, it says each one must give as he or she has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You guys will notice that we don't force anyone around Courageous Church to give under compulsion. You'll notice that we don't pass the plates and we don't make a big spectacle and a big hoopla. I don't ask you to come and place money at my feet at the altar. You guys are laughing, but I've seen that happen. That's not what we're about. You know what we're about? Cheerful giving. We're about giving our lives away, giving our time and our talent and our treasure freely, not under compulsion, not because someone told us we had to, not as a way of or means of obligation because we have to, but because we want to. Because we know that when we give, people are going to see the glory of God in our generosity. Jesus embodied this in everything that he did. The Father embodied this by giving us his only son. And he did it so that you, you and I both, all of us together, can embody this as well. So that we can be courageous and lavish with our generosity. I believe that this Christmas season, God is providing you and providing me opportunities left and right to look for opportunities or look for ways to be generous and to give. And of course, we do that with our tithes and our offerings, but we also do that with our, our time. When someone calls you up and is like, I need you to come over and help me clean out my garage. Is your first reaction, oh, I don't want to have to do that. Is it reluctant? Or is it cheerful? Yeah, I can't wait. By the way, you're all invited to come over and help me clean out my garage. We give time, we give talent, we give treasure away. We look for opportunities to be generous. It's one of our core values, one of our seven core values as a church to be lavish in generosity. We believe that's the invitation for us. And that's one of the ways that we're going to showcase God's glory here in Salt Lake City. Number three, we showcase God's glory when we choose joy. I told our team this on Friday night. We got together with some of those that, that serve here. Uh, and, I, and I told you guys that God has given us each and every day the opportunity to choose joy, to make a decision to choose joy. Some of you are like, I don't know joy was a choice. Joy is a choice. Happiness is based on what happens to you, hence the word happiness from happenstance. So if things are good, you're happy. Things are bad, you're sad, right? Happiness is all about what happens to you, but joy is the choice you make regardless of what happens to you to rejoice. And I gotta say this, don't we living here in this beautiful nation, in this beautiful state, in this beautiful city, in this beautiful place have so much to be thankful and to rejoice about? I really do guys. And I think one of the tactics of the enemy in your life and in mine is to try to distract us or to get our focus off of all that we've been blessed with and to focus on what we don't have or what we lack or what we wish we had. Here's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says. I like this. Always be joyful. Well, I thought there were some situations for which I didn't need to be joyful about. Always be joyful, God says. And never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Notice it doesn't say be thankful for all circumstances. There's some things that I'm, I'm glad that the Lord doesn't tell me that I have to be thankful for. But he does tell me to be thankful in it. Because, once again, joy is a choice. 
you and I can choose to be joyful. We can choose to rejoice despite whatever suffering or pain or hardship we walk through. And we will, and many of you have. But joy is a choice to see all of life as a gift. For which our response is this. Are you ready? Thank you, God. Thank you. This Christmas season, let's be a people that choose joy, that choose to rejoice, that choose to say thank you, God, for all the blessings that we have. And yes, even for the pain, because you know what? God can use your pain and turn it into purpose. He can bring forth beauty from the ashes of your life. He's done it in my life. He's done it in my wife's life. He's done it in many of your lives. That's why Paul says, again, I say, rejoice. Again, let me remind you, people of God, rejoice. Choose joy. Always be joyful. And when we are, I believe this is one of the ways that we showcase the glory of God. Finally, number four, we can showcase God's glory by sharing good news with others. The word gospel means good news. It's why we're going through the gospel of John. Romans tells us that it's, it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Can I tell you this? I believe that there are people all around us, at your workplace, at coffee shops, at Best Buy and Costco, and when you're hanging out with your friends that are just looking for reasons to believe good news. And all they've been given and inundated with is bad news because they've been listening to the world's news 24-7. And then they wonder why they're not joyful. They wonder why they're so sad. I know that's not the only reason, but come on, people. Let's be people that share the gospel, that share good news. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark 16, verse 15. And then Jesus told them, meaning the disciples, people like you and me, simple folk, go into all the world and preach and share and teach and declare the good news to everyone. To everyone. Why? Because everyone needs good news. You need good news. I need good news. We all need good news. We all need the power of the gospel to work within our lives. So let's be kinds of people that bring others good news. That's what I'm committing to this Christmas season, to look for opportunities to have spiritual conversations with people that leads to the sharing of good news. And what is the good news? Simply put, it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's him finishing the work on that cross by taking our sins upon him and no longer holding them against us. It's God being in the world, reconciling hearts, restoring family, bringing people out of spiritual Egypt and bondage like we sang about tonight. It's God doing what only he can do through the preaching of good news. Yes, model it. Hope people get the hint. But come on, use words. Preach it. Notice it doesn't say just hope that people are going to figure out that you're a Christian by the t-shirt you wear or the bumper sticker you put on your car. What does it say, guys? Preach the good news. You know why? Because news needs a herald. It needs somebody to declare it. And guess who that somebody is? It's you, Ben. It's you, Krisha. It's you, Gary. It's you, Sophia. It's you, Jen. It's you, Candace. It's you, Riley. It's you, Megan. It's you, Dustin. It's you, Stephen. Especially you, Stephen. It's us. It's the people of God, people of good news. And I got to tell you guys, we need to be known more for what we're for, not just what we're against all the time. 
Because the gospel is the good news unto salvation for all who believe, meaning it leads people to transformation. Not just more information, not just philosophies, not just self-help, no, transformation, power for the heart to be changed. And we all need that. I need a daily dose of good news. Candace knows. <laughs> we all need a daily dose of good news in our life, and especially in 2021, amen? amen? So people of God, every one of us can do these four things. We can serve somebody. We can give generously. We can choose joy, and we can share good news with others. Is that your heart tonight? Did you receive that? I believe this is how we're going to seek, and we're going to see the glory of God showcased in the earth. Here's the prophetic promise that God has given this church, that if we would arise and shine, it's a choice, no one's going to force you, no one's going to make you, but if we, the people of God, would arise and shine, we would see the glory of God arisen upon us. It is God's heartbeat for you and for those of you watching online, for him to showcase his glory through you. We're jars of clay, we're weak, we shatter easily, we're fragile, we make mistakes, we get it wrong, we mess up. Yes, sometimes we're hypocrites. Come on. Sometimes we don't practice what we believe, but come on, he still wants to showcase his glory in us. It's his pleasure to do so. I hope you believe that tonight. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.